This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday the 23rd of November 2023. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And let me start by telling you what happened this week. Somebody managed to find the keys to the TTR studio here in Northern Ireland. Unbolted the door. And let me on. What did I do? I'll tell you what I did. I went to Birmingham to the Schools and Academy show. Had a great day. Met up with the wonderful Tom Rogers and together we manned the TTR stand. We met lots of interesting people. We did some fantastic interviews and all of those will be winging their way to you through the airwaves very shortly. So big shout out to everybody who went to the show and especially if you came around and spoke to us and doubly especially if you gave us a short interview. Fantastic. Aren't the people of Birmingham wonderful? Absolutely great. I just love that Brummy accent. It's warm, it's kind. And you know what I saw? They smile. It's fantastic, you can't beat it. Boone, do you remember Boone? Boone was a Brummy, wasn't he? That was set in Birmingham. What am I talking about? You're all too young to remember that. Anyway, from Birmingham to America and to a place that I believe I am unable to pronounce correctly but I'm pretty sure my guest will put me right on that and tonight my guest is PE teacher Valerie Cheseldon. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Hello, Valerie. I can see you're in the studio. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Paul. It's great to be here. Oh, that's great. You sound lovely and clear all the way from America. And tell me, Valerie, how do you pronounce Maryland? Maryland. Maryland. I'm going to have to get used to that, aren't I? It's okay. It is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Valerie, you're very welcome um, to the show this evening. So you're in Maryland, which is five hours roughly behind us. So it's roughly uh, coming up on five past four with you in the afternoon. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, it is about five after four here. And we are presently celebrating Thanksgiving here um, today with family and friends. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about Thanksgiving. We obviously we don't have it here in the UK and Ireland, but we probably just know it through films and things like that. So what's it all about and what happens? 
Okay, yeah. So for Thanksgiving, we uh, get together, uh, family and friends from all over the place if we can. And it's basically like a family reunion uh, style buffet dinner that you serve. And based off of what your tastes are, uh, will be what is the main course for the day. So some families do seafood, some do lamb, some do ham, others do turkey. It all depends on your taste, but it's just a big family reunion that uh, you have friends over and you just you just eat and get together and catch up. It's, it's a lot of fun. Great. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. And Valerie, is the history of it, is it to do with harvest? Is it like kind of harvest festivals that we might have here and giving thanks for the, the summer and the crops, or is it a different thing? No, that is exactly what it is. It's giving thanks for the harvest. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are right on it, Paul. <laughs> Very good, yeah. So you're on holiday this week then? I am, yes. Uh, I In Maryland, we teach until Tuesday, and then after Tuesday at 4 p.m., depending on what grade level you teach, um, for me, I'm elementary. So we get out at 4, and then we're on break until Monday morning. So it's wow. a nice little holiday yep. we have here that we can rela relax and, and just be mindful with our time. Yeah. And all the more credit to you, Valerie, for tuning in and being a guest on your holiday. Thank you very much for that. As I told you, Paul, I'm very passionate about family and friends as much as I am my job. So if I can do both in the same day, that's a win. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and here, tell me this then. Do you have a holiday at Halloween as well? No, no. The schools typically celebrate so fall break for thanksgiving winter break for christmas and right. uh, easter okay. um, but the other holidays such as halloween are not celebrated as in a break from school. okay i see All right so this is your kind of main autumn holiday before christmas that is correct yes good good so Valerie, PE, you're a PE teacher, isn't that right? That is correct. Yes, I, I teach pre-K, which can consist of three and four and five year olds all the way up yeah. into fifth grade. Yeah. So what, what drew you to be a PE teacher then? I love being physically active and being healthy. I'm very passionate about it. And I wanted to be able to share that passion with others. And in order for me to do that effectively, I knew that I needed to be on the ground in the classroom, sharing my passion for that with young minds. And so that was the most effective way I could think of doing that um, and reaching the most people. So that's, that was my, my why for becoming a physical education teacher. Ah, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Now, most of my experience is, you know, post-primary, as we would call it here, and a little bit into kind of university as well. And, you know, PE, and, and certainly when I was a youngster and going to school, PE was very much like sporty. It was about games and, and things. 
What happens with that younger age group? What does PE look like for them? So I'm so glad you asked that, Paul, because we are no longer a skill-based physical education program. We are now a standard-based physical education program where we are teaching towards the standards at an elementary or primary level. We are teaching the foundations of PE and health. We are teaching them how to have uh, cognitive skills, you know, mental health, effective growth in their feelings, and psychomotor, which relates to their physical skills, which moves into their movement literacy. Um, A well-designed PE program meets the needs of all students, keeping students active for most of their class time, teaching self-management, providing knowledge and skills to live a physically active lifestyle. And then we also, what's most important is that they enjoy the experience and that everyone has that opportunity. Mm, yeah. Um, so what do they do then? Say, say you, you've got a period of time, what would it be, an hour on the timetable, and it's PE time. What are these children doing then? So I see my students once a week for 50 minutes, pre-K students for 35 minutes once a week. Uh, We teach the same education rigor as other core subjects, such as math, English, and science. Physical education programs in Maryland um, have a pacing guide. Everything is with a purpose. So we provide students with a planned sequential K-12 standards-based program curriculum and instruction that is designed to develop a student's motor skills, knowledge and behavior skills that will encourage and motivate them to live active lifestyles in and out of the school building. Okay, now that all sounds really advanced. How, how does that break down? How does that age group really get to grips with, with what they need to understand and do? Mm-hmm. We break it down into steps. So we have the students learn the foundation of each and every skill. So for example, right now we're concluding our catching and throwing unit in Charles County, Maryland, which is where I teach. We have a pacing guide where every school in the county is following the same same unit. So if a student was to transfer from my school and their parents moved into a different school zone and now they have a different PE teacher at a new school, they're being taught the same thing. It might look different, but they're being taught the same thing. So for a catching and throwing unit, uh, we break it down so that the student understands into steps. And this is inclusive, providing equity for all, uh, making it color-coded, you know, teaching them, you pick up the ball with your coloring hand, you step out with the opposite foot, you tell them that if it's an underhand throw, it's a lowercase l, if it's an upper hand throw, it's an uppercase l. So using terminology that they understand in order to execute the the activity, the skill that you want them to do, and then eventually after about two lessons, a student will start to execute those skills on their own independently. And then when they see a student who isn't quite there yet, they will go over and support that other student. So it's a growth process that takes three to four weeks for a basic skill, say underhand throwing, overhand throwing. 
And that is how the students are learning in our space. And then we move from independent to pairing students together, stations into an activity that's whole group. And the whole, whole class gets to enjoy what they just learned and show it off to all of their peers, not only in the physical education classroom, but out on recess on the playground and then also at home with their parents and their friends. Yeah, that, that's yeah, I'm getting a real picture now of what's happening. So the movement is kind of basic movements. So it's underarm throwing, overarm throwing, and then, then there's progress and building on that. And if I hear you rightly, there's a lot of um, cooperation going on between pairs and, and groups. Yes, that is correct. There's a lot of support going on, positive feedback. We do a lot of peer-to-peer -peer feedback. Um, also, mm -hmm. teacher-to-student feedback as the activity station, whether whatever stage we're in in that learning of the skill towards the standard, um, they have someone there to hear them, correct them as they go along if they need that. And having a peer say it versus a teacher might be more comfortable for them. So we offer different uh, variations of support as we move along. Mm, yeah. And what, what age, you, you, the youngest age group you teach, Valerie, is? My pre-K group is my youngest group that I teach, and it can consist of age groups between three and five years old, about, no, three okay. and four years old. Okay, so they're very young, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, and would it not be a parent's responsibility to kind of ensure that a lot of this movement and, the, you know, the ability to have these moves as a repertoire would it not be a parent's responsibility to make sure that's in place before they come to school? Well, Paul, we are in a post-pandemic era. And as we move into this new um, phase in education, we are learning that the 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous daily activity that students ages five through 17 should be experiencing did not, for most, did not occur during mm -hmm. that pandemic phase. Yeah. So less than 25% of students are engaged in physical activity outside of school. And this is due to a lot of factors. I wouldn't necessarily say um, it is up to one group or one person to initiate a skill uh, that a, a child can learn. Uh, do the students do these activities at home with their parents? I'm very sure that they do. I, I actually have quite a few families at my school that are very active and mm. will challenge their children to work out with them. And, and they do all kinds of physical activities, but yeah. there are also those families, Paul, that don't have those um proactive family members and therefore if they want to go outside and do something active you know they take a sibling or maybe they can get their mom and dad involved mm -hmm. however we live in a in a time now where parents are working one to two jobs just to make ends meet and therefore most times students are left to independently focus on and practice their skills on their own so 
Um, a student that young probably plays independently with peers. Um, I'm sure parents do try to assist with a skill, not knowing that's what they're doing, you know, rolling a ball back and forth. That's sure. a pre-K physical education standard, having them learn how to roll that ball back and forth independently towards a stationary target, such as a, another student or say bowling pins, for example. So um, yeah. that's, that's how a three or four year old learns a skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that you start with specific skills like, you know, underarm throwing and, and, and you know, uh, becoming more advanced and so on. Now, I know, Valerie, you are a big fan of Teachers Talk Radio. I'm pretty sure you listen to at least one episode a day. I wonder, did you listen to the episode I did recently with Rachel Jefferson Buchanan, who, although an English girl, she lives in Australia, but she does something fairly similar to what you do. Um, and she talked a lot about specific movements um, and I know you're talking a lot about standards and reaching standards, um, but why are there particular movements that are important? That's a great question, Paul. Uh, specific movements are important going back to catching and throwing. That is a skill that is used in a lot of different sports. So having those movements taught locomotor movements the fundamental motor school movements all of those movements are very important because it allows for a um, student to not only engage with their peers and participate in physical education class but then also motivates and encourages them to become athletes outside of the classroom so it will then have them become possibly involved with extracurricular activities with their rec center uh, become involved with a sport uh, at their school. So the buildup of these skills and movement patterns is important so that they can learn how to live uh, healthy and active lifestyles. So that's the whole point of physical education classes to encourage individuals to want to become physically active for the rest of their life. It's very important because PE benefits improve concentration and focus, increase positive behavior choices. It helps their self-esteem as they grow up. And then it helps fight obesity and other health risks. So that's why these learning of these skills and these movements are that important. It, there's so many other things that physical education touches. And you've already raised that, Valerie, and I'm, I'm kind of holding that off like, you know, a very juicy, meaty part of a Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> just for a little while. Okay. But we are going to get to that. Um, but before we do, I'm just wondering, what is the state of kind of, you know, physically, what is the state of people in America? How much do they need PE, movement, exercise, diet, nutrition? Physical education uh, has slowed down prior to the pandemic. And then from, you know, as young as five into adulthood, once the pandemic hit at home, physical education, physical activity just skyrocketed. Everyone had time then as they were home instead of going out and social networking 
to focus on themselves. And mm -hmm. for that reason, I feel that physical education, physical activity, health education has hit a pivotal point and where it is now a focal point and schools and districts, communities are focusing on it. So mm -hmm. we are looking at people taking better care of themselves, making sure that they're on a schedule, uh, being able to eat better, uh, restaurants, schools, for example, are offering, uh, you know, farm to table choices, going green. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we have those options now, whereas before it was just some schools. And since the pandemic and us going back into school, we're now seeing more of a push for those healthier choices, those healthier habits, those daily routines, keeping those in check. So I'm seeing a spike of wanting to become more physically active and encouraging their youth to be uh, part of physical education, extracurricular activities. So that's what I'm seeing. So if I hear you right, um, you know, over what you've said so far, um, PE, even at the very early stage that you're doing it, is it's crucial and it's very much an investment in Americans for the future. Would that be right? That is correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. You used some lovely terms. You talked about movement literacy. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about movement literacy? Yes, so physical literacy uh, is a whole child approach where students are learning how to move and use those movements in various forms. Uh, so locomotor skills, skipping, sliding, jumping, hopping, walking, marching, non-locomotor skills, stretching, uh, twisting, turning, all types of movement activities students are becoming literate in and are able to apply those skills in different ways throughout the day, you know. So mm -hmm. that's movement literacy. Yeah, great. And <clears throat> you began by talking about, um, you know, the, the impact that PE has on mental health and well-being. Just just draw that link for me. How, how is there a link between physical and mental health? Yes. So physical education, health education, they are two separate content areas. However, we try to incorporate both in the physical education classroom. So mental health is a part of health education. And right now it's being incorporated into physical education as social emotional learning, so SEL. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of social emotional learning in PE. And we're doing that by taking mindful movements, mindful minutes, mindful breathing. So mindful moments, mm -hmm. essentially. And we are incorporating these moments into our PE routine so that if a student is realizing they're having a meltdown, whether it be from they didn't get the color beanbag they wanted or uh, they lost, their team lost. And mm. students are learning how to self-regulate. And in self-regulating their emotions, they will come up to me and they will ask me for a mindful moment. 
And I have a mindful moment wall set up in my space so that a student can utilize that space in mindful breathing, doing mindful stretches. So there's just different techniques that they can use to help with their mental health. And this will go with them into adulthood because then they're able to understand, okay, I need to take a step back. And they'll have those strategies that they learned with me when they were five. And by then, I'm very sure they will have advanced into other various forms. Uh, however, the very basics are taught in the physical education classroom. And uh, that's how students are able to keep their mental health uh, in a positive state of mind. Mm, yeah. Um, Tom Rogers is listening in. And as I said at the beginning, Tom and I were in Birmingham yesterday and we had a great day out. We spoke to a couple of teachers, one of whom told us that she has a mindful wall in her staff room. And we got really interested in that. So what's on your mindful wall for these children, Valerie? So I have a social emotional center. I have an emotional center where I used um, a movie that has different uh, characters that students mm -hmm. can relate to. And each character has how they're feeling and then a positive quote. And so if they're too upset to want to communicate with me and they need to speak one-on-one -on -one with me uh, versus independently, they're able to touch a poster on the wall or point to it and show me, okay, you're feeling sad right now. When you're ready, let me know how you're feeling. So we take our time. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part of the wall is stretches. I have visual aids um, where students are able to do stretches and uh, like the Savasana, the Lotus, uh, the tree pose, things of that nature. And then the mindful breathing techniques are something that I practice with my students from the time they enter my room. So starting from pre-K. So the students already know to sit down and practice their breathing, you know, uh, I always do it in threes, so I'll tell them to take a deep breath in through their nose, hold mm -hmm. it, and then breathe out through their mouth, place their hand on their heart or their belly, and we call them some really neat names. We'll say the fire breathing or the lion breath or something to make it more relatable to them so that when they sit down, to them it's not, oh, I need to breathe, I'm so mad, and they're concentrating on that. Instead, they're concentrating on being a dragon or being a lion and making mm. that breath. So it gets, it changes their mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I think we have plenty of staff and certainly a few politicians here who could uh, maybe do with that mindful breathing and uh, help them to focus their minds. <laughs> I can send you my posters over, Paul. I'll send them to you. I, think, I think you, I think you should, Valerie, definitely send it over. Yeah. Valerie, that sounds really, um, um, you know, sounds really fantastic. Um, and I have a great sense and, and, and mental picture of what you do and, and how you do it. And, and you, you know, I don't think it's all sweetness and light. You talked about some of them being upset and needing to talk to you and, and so on. But I wonder then, is, is 50 minutes enough 
in a week. Should children not be having more of that kind of physical education? I'm very glad you brought that up. That's a whole can of other worms. But um, <laughs> uh, each, <laughs> each school has its own, I say each school, each school district has its own way of doing things because it's up to the districts how the schedule is created. Mm-hmm. Now, in elementary, it's 50 minutes. Do I think that it's enough time? Absolutely not. I do not think mm-hmm. it's enough time at an elementary level to be able to execute every standard that's inside the K through 12 framework for Maryland. There's mm-hmm. just not enough time. You want to be able to give them everything that you can. You want to encourage them to be physically active when they leave you. And you want them to have that aha moment because they learned that skill. You know, that's why we go in and we do this job is so that we can teach these young minds how to do a movement. And then when they realize they can do it, that smile that goes across their face, Paul, is absolutely worth it. We need more time so that all students can experience that moment and not feel like they're being rushed or they can't do it because after three weeks or after four weeks, we need to then transition on to a new skill. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 50 minutes is not enough time. And I only see my students once a week. Now, pre-K, uh, I see them 35 minutes once a week and they need more time too, you know, yeah. um, because there's so many activities that physical educators really want to do with their students. We would love to do so many activities with our kids and set it up to where it is engaging. It motivates them the second they walk in the door. And a lot of our physical educators across the globe do as best as they can with what they have to set it up and motivate them the second they walk in the door because that's what you want, to have them excited to be there, ready Mm -hmm. to learn. And that way the focus is on you and what you are saying. Everyone wants to be there and, and support each other and participate. And you're able to make that happen because you have the time. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, I had my schedule still 50 minutes, but I had a little bit of time in between um, the last two years. So in the last two years, I was able to create a Mario Kart. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but, um, we know, we know Mario Kart here. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Created a Mario Kart circuit inside of my space. And I played the music that is associated to that game. So when I walked in, they were so excited to be there. Um, even my own content specialist walked in and was excited to be there. And he was, I wish I was five again. I want to do this activity. So, yeah. you know, it, and the kids don't realize that you're teaching them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're having this wonderful experience with their friends that they're going to talk about later to their parents and, and probably play on their own or try to, uh, outside of the space. But it's just, that's what you want, Paul, is to be able to have the time to create an environment where learning takes place and you don't have to, uh, worry about, are they, 
grasping this the concept of the skill are they able to execute it you know with the little bit of time that we have if we had more time there would be so much more we could do and it would just be mind-blowing unfortunately though like i said that's that's a different topic for a different day there paul that's a politician issue you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well maybe we'll get you back someday valerie and we can talk about that but yes um that kind of learning where children are just utterly absorbed and engaged and you know people like Mahali, Csikszentmihalyi and so on can call it flow it happens with sports people musicians it can happen with teachers it certainly can happen with pupils students but those moments are when the best teaching and the best learning and indeed the best memories and so on and commitment and motivation, I think that's when they all happen. I agree with you, absolutely. That is exactly when it happens. And you yeah. know, Paul, it happens when a teacher is in love with their job. When you're passionate about your job and what you're teaching, your students see that. They see the energy you put into your lesson and, and the execution of the lesson being used through equipment. And then they're just engaged, Paul. They want to learn. They want to be there. And that's a totally different atmosphere than if you walk into a space where the person you're supposed to be with for the next hour is behaving as if they don't want to be there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you just have to have this positive atmosphere for these kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Valerie, your passion is absolutely infectious. We're thousands of miles away listening to you. And, you know, we're all hyped up here with your enthusiasm. Tell me this then. Do your colleagues who maybe teach other subjects or other parts of the curriculum, do they feel the same? about the work they that you do do they appreciate the work that you do and any impact it has on them and their subject well paul i will say that physical education teachers and the classroom is not seen as um a is not seen as being equal to a core subject and so okay. Uh, gaining the respect of your colleagues in the building and having them understand the importance of what you teach and that it is lifelong skills you are teaching. Uh, that is its own mountain. You have to get the community and the school you're working in, treat your subject like it's equally as important. Um, do I feel that other teachers in my specific buildings see physical education as just important as science, math, and English? No, I do not think that they see it that way. Um, I've had many conversations with colleagues where to them it's structured recess, and that's not the case at all. That's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, however, that's how it's viewed. So. You have to change the perspective of so many adults in the building just for them to treat you and your class as if it's just equally as important. Uh, there are times when PE teachers, I'm very sure across the globe, I know here in the United States, have their space given up 
to do, whether it's picture day, there's an assembly, it's a last minute uh, you know, guest coming in to speak to the school and they need to borrow your space. And now you're put out of your, your learning environment and have to find another learning environment. And if the weather is inclement, then you're pushed into someone else's classroom and, and hoping that there is one open. So it's, it's a learning environment, Paul. You have to build that up in your program so that your administration and your colleagues in the building see you as equally as important. There's also testing that goes on and the kids are taken during their related arts time. Mm. But again, that puts us where related arts is not seen as important as a core subject. Unfortunately, I disagree. Physical education, art, music, those are all equally as important. We're teaching lifelong skills. You know, these are yeah. skills that you take into adulthood. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yes, I think you're, unless you're in, you know, a, a very modern, very well equipped school, it's probably the same here. Um, you know, I know we have exams happen in December and well, probably even November, December and January, and certainly in May and June. And most schools use the gymnasium as the exam hall and PE teachers are, they're just ousted. They've got to go somewhere. If the weather's fine, they may be able to go outdoors. If not, as you say, you know, they have to go to a classroom somewhere and it's maybe not laid out in a way that's conducive to movement or, or PE or anything like that. Yeah. So Valerie, uh, oh, by the way, can I ask you, just go back one wee minute. What is a content specialist? Because you mentioned you had a content specialist in the room. Yes. So my content specialist is the head of physical and health education for the county that I work in. Some counties right. in the state of Maryland have supervisors with mm. content specialists that run under them. And if the county's big enough, they could have two or three content specialists who mm. will take on different schools in the county if it's big enough. My mm -hmm. county has one content specialist and, um, it, well, all subjects, I think, at least related mm -hmm. art subjects, have yeah. a content specialist in my county. So that's just... What are, what are they doing? Person. Yeah. Yeah. So the content specialist role is to uh, gather funding for physical and health education for the county. Uh, to help write and create curriculum for us to use, uh, to create and organize a pacing guide for the schools across the county to use. So there's a lot that's, that's a part of that position. It's really, it's the work of almost three people that mm -hmm. um, one person is in charge of, of taking mm -hmm. on. So it's a lot of work, Paul. Mm -hmm. So if I understand rightly, they're in more as an advisor and the, there's no inspection role or assessment role or anything is there so they they can content specialists can come in and do say an audit 
and see if you are running your physical and health education program the way that it is supposed to be being ran. So yeah. yes, they, they are able to do that. It's, it's like an administrative role, but in a, a central office building rather than at the school. Okay. Yeah. Right. I see. Valerie, it's fascinating uh, listening to you. And I'm going to come back and ask you some uh, more questions. We'll maybe move a little bit more into, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, a little more into um, the wider benefits of PE and particularly how teaching PE early on pays dividends later on in life. And we'll be right back after these messages. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as Tech User Labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC News website reports on announcements that GCSE students in England will get formulae and equations in their maths and science exams for summer 2024. The Department for Education has asked the exam regulator to extend previous support for another year to limit the impact of COVID. Most students who were due to sit GCSE exams next summer were in year seven when the first lockdown began. Teaching unions have welcomed the proposal, which is being consulted on. The DfE said it would mean enhanced formulae and equation sheets for pupils in maths, physics and combined science. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said these pupils will be the last to experience two years of national closures during secondary school and that it was right that they get additional support. She went on to say it was disappointing that the decision had been made so late on. 
as many pupils will take mocks in the coming months or so. The union ASCOL welcomed the consultation, but argued that the provision of support materials should be permitted as it would reduce some of the stress of exam preparation and allow pupils to focus on core knowledge and skills. Prior to this announcement, exams in England had been due to return to 2019 arrangements. Exams were cancelled across the UK in 2020 and 2021, and grades were based on teacher assessments. When students returned to exam halls in 2022, they were given extra support. Some measures remained in place for exams in England in 2023, with exams in the same subject spaced more apart, formulae and equation sheets in some subjects, and not being tested on unfamiliar vocabulary in modern foreign languages. But unlike the rest of the UK, students in England were not given information on topics on which they were being tested. England was also the only nation this summer to bring back in line with 2019, with Wales and Northern Ireland planning a slow return. As a result, the drop in pass grades was steepest in England. In another week of political drama, the latest government reshuffle has seen the return of many familiar faces. For education, it means the return of former Education Secretary Damien Hines as Schools Minister. He replaces Nick Gibb, who resigned to pursue a job in the diplomatic service. A report in FE Week focuses on Hines' previous experience leading the DFE between January 2019 and July 2019, during which time the government completed reforms to technical education. Hines has previously said, after his 2019 departure, that there was still work to do on social mobility. He was replaced by Gavin Williamson. The Education Secretary stated Mr Hines is hugely experienced and who would continue to build on Nick Gibbs' record of driving up standards. Mr Hines is the sixth person to hold the schools minister role in 18 months. The Glasgow Times reports on what it calls the long-term decline in education standards after the Institute of Fiscal Studies looked at Scotland's disappointing history in PISA figures, an international measure. Since 2012, Scottish scores in maths and science have declined. The figures also show a wide gap between the richest and poorest in maths, science and reading, but more well-off students also underperform when compared to their English counterparts. Large increases in spending and big reforms such as the Curriculum for Excellence do not seem to have translated into higher performance, according to Andrew McKendrick, one of the report's authors. A Scottish Conservative education spokesman said the report should act as a wake-up call for the SNP and Scottish Labour said it exposed the damage the SNP has done. Finally, Schools Week reports on the invitation to schools to request a free portrait of King Charles II under a new government scheme. The scheme is costing £8 million. Those wishing to take up the offer must apply before the 2nd of February 2024. The King will be shown in ceremonial dress and delivery of the images will take place between February and April next year. The A3 size picture will be printed on high quality paper and be in a glazed frame. Schools which display pictures of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth will not be obliged to take down her portrait. Suggested placement of the image of His Majesty is reception areas or a function room or similar location. Schools will not be able to see the portrait before submitting requests. The image is not being funded from school budgets, but out of a separate pot similar to the scheme which provided a free book to every primary school pupil to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in 2021. 
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 23rd of November. And with me tonight, I've got Valerie Cheseldin, and we're talking about PE. Just did a quick sum there um, during the break there, Valerie. Uh, roughly, broadly, you're 3,360 miles away. Isn't that something? Because you just sound like you're in the next room here. <laughs> Well, I'm glad the connection is clear. <laughs> yeah, it's first class. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Yeah. So, Valerie, you've painted a, a very dynamic, colorful picture for us of what happens with uh, young children and PE. And, you know, it's very structured. There's certainly a framework. There's standardization. There's maybe even what we might call it like a national curriculum. You know, they can move and schools and the same thing or the same progress is happening and so on. You began talking about the importance of PE in terms of mental health and general health and fitness, uh, diet, exercise, sleep and so on. Um, so what are the benefits then of, of PE and starting young at that age? What, what do you see uh, as a result of a focus, a structured focus on PE? So the health benefits of physical activity for young children, um, their academic performance, that improves just by their attention and memory. Uh, their muscular fitness is at its peak because they're able to build strong muscles through uh, muscular endurance, muscular strength activities, doing cardiovascular, working on their cardiovascular health, uh, moving along through their flexibility, which is very important. And then, uh, you know, touching and gaining knowledge of body composition, being aware of what it means to be physically active and eating healthy. The uh, bone strength strengthens their bones. Brain health is a it lowers the risk of depression in young minds. Um, their long-term health allows for them to reduce their risk of chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes and obesity, which is something that we see uh, an increasing number of. However, a physically active child could reduce the risk of getting those diseases. And then, um, as already mentioned, just maintaining a healthy body weight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yes, it is very important to acquire those Outlooks, those skills, those attitudes, very important to acquire them and, and then hold on to them and to get them early, I should say. Um, Valerie, what are the um, kind of the obstacles, the barriers and the threats to the great work that you are doing there? What, what do you face? What do, you, what do young people have to overcome so I think that the, the better question is, um, you know, what can the schools and community do for physical education? What can they do to help support mm -hmm. physical activity? Um, when thinking about barriers, that has kind of a negative approach. 
So when you say, well, what can the school and community do to help support a physical activity program, then then that sounds more optimistic, more positive. So first, you want to consider the following. Does the school have the resources to help support your program? And if they do, uh, does it have the funding? Does it have mm-hmm. the funding? And that's the biggest obstacle there, Paul, is funding. Uh, sometimes you could have the support of everyone in your community and your administration and your colleagues that you work with in the school building. But if the funding is not there, you have to find a way to get the funding, whether it's through grant writing, whether it's through fundraising, which that in itself has red tape because then you have to fill out forms to have your administration approve the fundraiser. And then, you know, large sums of money that get fundraised have to be um, approved by the board at central office. So there's there's a lot of things going on here. Um, Do you have the equipment you need? What are the expectations for this program? Do you need a justification letter? So these types of things, once you have all of that figured out, then whatever barrier you have or believe you have, that can be tackled. That obstacle no longer exists because you have gone through all the steps to try to figure out how you can support your program, how these kids can be physically active outside of your classroom, after school, in in a program, whether it be you're raising money to have after school volleyball. And, and you need mm-hmm. volleyballs, okay? You're raising money to get nets, volleyballs, maybe even call a nearby school and borrow the standards and the nets. See what you can get from nearby schools first before you purchase and, and figure out the funding part, right? You need to mm-hmm. collaborate with your colleagues that aren't in your school because you can do that. Build a network. Um, you know... So, Valerie, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And I suppose this was really the next question, you know, I was going to ask you, but but we'll stick with it. Um, okay. Um, PE, you know, you said earlier, PE is something of the poor relative, you know, in terms of other subjects and some colleagues and um, it's not prioritized and it's not front and center. Are you also saying that PE isn't well financed? in terms of, you know, your schools, your districts, or however that works? Oh, no, no, we, we are financially doing well with our physical Mm -hmm. and health education program in my county, we have a, a ton of support. It's in terms of if you want something that you don't have, and there isn't funding there, because like everything, there's a budget. So a new fiscal year with a new budget, if you're at the end or middle of the year and that new budget hasn't been posted yet and your content specialist or supervisor tells you, well, the funding's not there yet, but if you need this now, here's how you can attain what you need. So there's plenty of fundraisers you can do and grant writing. Um, so no, there's, there's plenty of funding. You just have to learn how to advocate for your program, get the funding so that you, it can help support what it is you're trying to do, whether it be through your district or you independently trying to figure it out because you know 
that, yeah, maybe there is some funding there, but there's not enough for me to do what I want to make happen. So you have to advocate for your program. Nobody better to do that than you, Valerie, it sounds to me. Gosh, yeah. Um, you mentioned a justification letter. What's a justification letter? So a justification letter, when you are trying to advocate for a piece of equipment, for example, that's in the range of fifteen dollars to $30,000, you want this piece of equipment, you have to write a justification letter for it. Uh, for because something of that large amount needs to not only be approved by your admin, but also needs to be approved by the board. And in Sorry, order what for... is going to cost $30,000? $30,000 would keep a whole PE outfit going in two schools here. <laughs> well, uh, so I can share that I advocated for a LU learning system it is a interactive system that helps engage the learner and promote physical activity through an immersive 3D wall size screen. And it's projected off of this LU learning system. There's only right. one school in the whole state of Maryland that has one. And I saw it through video. Um, through a gentleman named Matt Allen, and he has one, and it was the most spectacular thing I have ever seen. And the cost for the equipment to successfully fit the class size that I have per grade level, uh, the equipment cost at a low was $26,000. So in order for me to attain those funds, I needed to advocate and write a justification letter explaining why that piece of equipment would help enhance my physical yeah. education program and then also help enhance the physical activity after school by using by allowing the community to be able sure, to use it. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does that piece of equipment do, Valerie? It projects an interactive experience onto the wall so that students can then uh, be in an immersive learning environment. For example, uh, teachers, physical education teachers who have the system can use it for various, through various units. However, again, moving back to catching and throwing, um, a teacher recently posted a video using the interactive system by having the students practice their overhand throwing, uh, which is a standard that students are taught from second grade up. And they are throwing the ball at these targets and say, for example, balloons. So they throw it at a balloon that's on the screen that's a wall size and oh, okay. then the balloon okay. pops. So it's like yeah. an interactive smart board, but for physical education. Well, very, that's what I was gonna say. Is it not just a big TV? <laughs> well, um, well, you can't exactly hit a TV with a ball, Paul, but yes, <laughs> it is It is an interactive screen. Good one. Good one. I'm only teasing you. <laughs> good one. Very good. Yeah. So, Valerie, I was just wondering, um, yeah, because you talked about schools and, you know, really uh, realistically how can schools improve their PE and develop it and, and, and so on 
Um, and yes, I did ask you in the, in the form of barriers, but I suppose what I was really thinking then was, you know, for example, um, how do you feel about, you know, children having devices, you know, electronic devices, iPads, whatever it is, is that not, you know, is that something that's an impediment, something of a block to what you as a committed PE teacher wants to achieve? Uh, let's define the context. Are you speaking in terms of inside of the physical education classroom or are you speaking just in general when they're at home instead of going outside, they're on an electronic device? Well, I suppose in my mind, I'm thinking of, of the second definition. Yes, you know, I, I suspect it's the same with you. Children are glued to their devices. Now, admittedly, maybe not at the early age that you're first encountering them. But later on, you know, it's you think there's something wrong if you see a child and they don't have a mobile phone in their hand. I believe that there has been an increase in electronic use amongst our youth. Mm -hmm. I do feel that when they are at home, uh, what used to be structure and um, say a strict schedule with use of a device, for example, uh, a game system, the iPad, sometimes students go home and they're allowed to touch that electronic device for an unprecedented amount of time. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that is the state that some of our youth are in and therefore mm -hmm. physical activity isn't encouraged or they're not motivated to want to go outside because yes, they are glued in to that device, yeah. unfortunately. So it takes, it takes the, the student to want to not be plugged in all day. And then it also takes the parent, the family, the, the environment that they're in when they go home to be a physically active environment or an environment yeah. that has structure in a schedule. If, if a child walks in and doesn't have those things, it, it can be difficult for them to want to be motivated to go outside and play with their friends. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Valerie, we're close to the end of the show. Our time is almost up and as is traditional now on this show, I always ask a, a question towards the end. If you had a magic wand and only one spell that you could cast, what would you wish for that would make the life and the lot of teachers much better? You know, Paul, when you asked me that question earlier today, I thought about it all day. I even ask other colleagues to see what they would say. And I, right. I promise you, everyone said something different. And oh, well, great. <laughs> <laughs> everyone said something different. But here is something that it was my immediate answer, and it stuck with me all day. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you what it is. The mental health of our teachers, educators across the globe, are very passionate about their profession or they wouldn't be doing it. Mm. 
And so when we take the day off, we don't necessarily need to tell our administrators we're ill or our child is sick. Allow us to feel okay with taking that mental day off. We just need a break. Sometimes we need to think about us too. So if I had a magic wand, it could change something. I would say for the mental health of our educators across the globe, if you don't already have this um, structure yet, to revert back to our four day weeks where we taught school for four days and then we were given one day to prepare for the following week. And giving us that day to do that, uh, yes, we had to report to the building still, but it allowed for us to break down the lessons we've already taught, reflect, how are we going to change it for Thursday, Friday, if needed? And then what are our plans for the next week, two weeks? And just take our time doing that. Mm. I think that the atmosphere amongst teachers in the building, it was much calmer. Everyone wasn't anxious to get out of there at 345. Everyone just was calm and enjoyed their job because they had that mental break. So for me, it would be to allow teachers to have a mental health day with planning, putting grades in, doing whatever it is they need to do and not to be made feel guilty about it. Wow, what an answer, Valerie. Now you told me you've never been to the UK or Ireland and that you kind of harbor a little ambition to come over here at some stage. I think if you ever do, Valerie, I think you will be grabbed at the airport and immediately <laughs> you will be made Minister for Education. Oh, I really think well, <laughs> that's, that's lovely. I love that. I've always dreamed of teaching overseas. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because about three or four years ago, I was looking at uh, what the requirements were to teach over in Ireland. So it's it's just full oh, circle, right. you mention it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very good, yeah, super duper, yeah. I was also just thinking there, um, and I'm not so sure about England, Scotland, Wales, but in Northern Ireland, in our curriculum, we have four areas of curriculum that carry the term education. So we've got physical education, PE, got mm -hmm. careers education, we've got religious education, and we've got personal and social education. Those are the only four areas that have the word education attached to them. Everything else is, you know, history, geography, music, and so on. But when I was an education advisor, I was often asked, well, why and why those four areas? And why do we not talk about music education? But, you know, the physical, the careers, the, the religion, and then the emotional and social and so on that goes in PSE, they're all about maturity, I think, and about becoming, you know, a better human being. And I think it definitely it starts early on with the, the physical and us exploring the world physically and ourselves. And I think the work that you do 
especially at that early stage, Valerie, is absolutely invaluable and crucial. It's the foundation. And I think you, you hinted at this, the foundation for, you know, a lot of physical work for fit, healthy people, especially those who move on to become athletes and players and sportsmen and women. Fantastic. Well, I thank you so much, Paul, for having me here on the show. I am a huge fan of Teacher Talk Radio, and I am. You are indeed. I am yeah. a committed listener. So you I are. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. You actually listened when you're doing bus duty, don't you? Did I hear that? Oh, Paul, now, come on. <laughs> no, I, I, I Well, you know, I'm dedicated. So I turn it on. Um, when I can. So Mondays and Tuesdays, right. I don't have a class during that time frame that you're doing it. So I'm right. able to turn on the show and listen to it. And then I leave my device in my office when I gather my students. And then mm -hmm. I try to, but it's not as effective. I'm not successful because I can't really hear it um, based on oh, the noise okay. <laughs> of the of the students in the gym. But I do try sometimes to hear it and also monitor. But you know, as a professional, I listen to it Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays. And oh then uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, I don't have that time at the end of the day when you run the show, at least the late show, not the late, late show, um, that allows me to um, not have an opportunity to listen to it. So majority of the week, though, I'm there. I think you definitely deserve a Teacher's Talk radio mug at least. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would I would appreciate that. Just don't tell my husband. I have I love cups. I love cups, oh, Paul. Right. So <laughs> I, I collect cups and he gets so mad when I bring a new one home. He's like, Well oh my goodness. seriously? He's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you give it to me and I will cherish it and place it in my office. There you go. Super duper. And Valerie, you're gonna sit down to your Thanksgiving dinner now, aren't you? I am. Yes, I'm actually enjoying time at my sister-in-law's house and all of her extended family. So it, it is quite a houseful right now. Great. Valerie, enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner. You've been a fabulous guest. Thank you so much. Take care and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. You have a fabulous weekend, Paul. You too. Bye now.